Welcome to Season 2 of History, Books, and Wine. We're your hosts, Lori Ann Bailey and Eliza Knight. We love sharing, so pour a glass of vino, and let's dive into the past. Today, we're excited to have a guest joining us, Christine Wells. On this episode, we're going to talk about World War II, spies, and the real Miss Moneypenny. Welcome, Christine. Hi, Eliza. Hi, Laurie. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you. Thanks so much for being here. And thank you so much for getting up at the crack of dawn to be on the show with us since you're on the other side of the world, basically. (laughs) Hi. We're so excited. Before we dive into this intriguing episode, what are we drinking? Christine, why don't you go first? Well, it's 6am here and uh, I have a full day of store bookstore visits ahead of me. So I'll tell you what I wish I was drinking. That works just as well. There's a champagne that's called Nicolas mm. Foyat. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I have a friend who's uh, husband does wine reviews so she brought this to dinner once and it, it's quite uh difficult to get so whenever I can have some it's just this brute champagne very yeasty very uh just beautiful it's not one of the light ones if you like the yeasty kind of champagnes that's the that's the one for you so that that's what I wish I was drinking and uh, I've got a bottle of verve in <laughs> Both of those sound delicious. I wish I was also having that. Instead, today I am having a glass of Josh uh, Sauvignon Blanc. I am a fan of the Sauvignon grape, whether it's a Blanc or a Cabernet. Um, And uh, I just, I don't normally drink whites, Mm -hmm. but um, it's been kind of a little bit warmer here today than other days. And when it's sunny out like that, I like to have a crisp white. That's yeah. perfect. Beautiful. It is beautiful outside. So today I'm having something special. It's uh, from Fabioli Cellars. It's a reserve of Cabernet Franc. And I purchased this on a recent trip uh, to a, a local winery. Oh. Yes, Eliza was there. <laughs> so that was really exciting. They do this fun little tasting thing where they um, they pair the wines with these cute little crackers and things and just really yummy and a fun escape for the day. But this is a Reserve Cabernet Franc. It says, the ground grower and grape come together to create the terrier that this estate grown jewel expresses. Through judicious barrel choices and careful blending, our Reserve Cabernet Franc represents the next level of quality Virginia wine. reserved for the best of times and i think that's appropriate because we're gonna have a good time today i agree that was the perfect one so we're gonna dive right into our questions that we have for you today your book one woman's war which just released congratulations is about the real miss money penny for our listeners who aren't familiar who is miss money penny and who is the real one Right. Uh, well, if you're not familiar with James Bond, let me <laughs> <Yes>. enlighten you. <laughs> he is a consummate British spy, uh, originated in the Cold War, but of course has been updated as time has progressed. He's a playboy, although has been uh, 
that's toned down a bit in recent years just to mm -hmm. go with the current times but he's mm -hmm. in a thousand languages he is a connoisseur of everything and uh knows everything about everything and he goes undercover to to uh <laughs> fight the forces of evil basically for the british government so he's a secret agent and miss money penny is the secretary of his boss whose code name is m and she has a bit of a flirtation with him in the movies she does uh in real life it was quite different uh so patty uh, Patty Bennett, her real name's Victoire, but she has this nickname Patty that she goes by. Uh, she was the secretary to Ian Fleming, who was the author of the James Bond novels. They were originally novels made into movies. Uh, and she was not flirtatious with Ian Fleming, although Ian Fleming fancied himself as quite the ladies' man. He worked at British Naval Intelligence during World War II and uh, so he was not a James Bond style operative. He wasn't in the field. He was actually much higher up than that and much more important in the scheme of things. Uh, he tended to come up with ideas for covert operations that the Navy intelligence would carry out. And he would try on behalf of the director of Naval Intelligence to convince everybody all of the different committees, you know, British like their committees and the different types of services because there was military intelligence, MI5, MI6, although they didn't really call them that in those days. So he had to liaise between everybody and uh, he probably would have liked to have gone into the field. He actually trained his own intelligence commandos to to do advanced raids when they were doing invasions to try to secure all the intelligence information that the Germans might have had or the Italians might have had wherever their headquarters was. Uh, so that that was one of his tasks. He was liaising with the USA. And so um, Paddy, I mean, in those days being a secretary is probably not quite what you imagine it might be today. Uh, it's... It, because a lot of these women professions weren't open to them and they were highly intelligent and capable. Uh, she was working for seven offices in, in the directorate and she uh, would have had quite a lot of responsibility beyond just typing and filing. So uh, that's Patty, but she was a redoubtable woman in her own right. So you know, this is not a James Bond thriller. It's more of a historical fiction with a little bit of uh, intrigue. Uh, Patty became involved in Operation Mincemeat, which I'll probably talk about later. But so she actually became a little bit of an operative herself. So fascinating. fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> During World War II, women were often used in clandestine situations under the guise of being secretaries or simply wives. Can you tell us about what duties a female spy might have had and the training she might have been given? Right. Well, there were several different kinds, as you would know, uh, having having researched this <laughs> yourself, Eliza. Um, and uh, there were the special operations executive agents who would have extensive training. They were being dropped into France behind enemy lines and they would be wireless operators or they would be couriers uh, trying to get 
intelligence information out of France and back to British headquarters. So they would go on special training camps to some stately home or other in the country that had been taken over for the purpose and they'd be taught uh, code writing, secret writing, you know, you had to write in mm-hmm. invisible ink. <laughs> um, That's cool. That was a thing. Uh, and uh, and they'd go on endurance training in Scotland, uh, you know, <laughs> so freezing cold, and they'd be taken out to the wilderness and oh told to find their way back. Yeah. Uh, so That's serious that, stuff. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, but there were also... Uh, agent provocateurs who were operating within Britain to try to weed out the the disaffected uh, people who might be traitors or have Nazi sympathies. And uh, they were not trained so much. They might have been uh, trained a bit in how to write a report and what sorts of things were expected of them, but they... They didn't get an awful lot of guidance. They just were thrown in a bit. But Maxwell Knight, who was the one running all of these ones domestically, wrote an essay on how effective females were as spies. And he he said, you know, that with women there is very little ego involved, so they're less likely to boast about their mm-hmm. activities to avoid Endura, um, you know, they they were very conscious of the secrecy, and you see that with yeah. Bletchley Park and things like that. But nobody knew about it because they were so they were so very discreet, uh, and also you know, covert work suits suits women. They go unnoticed. So uh, he he really backed this initiative, uh, and one of the. One of the agent provocateur kind of people was a character I have in the book. Her name is Friedel Gärtner, and she was an Austrian double agent. So she, her job was to feed the Germans information that was not correct, or some of it was <laughs> correct and some of it wasn't, yeah. and built up this picture for the Nazis. Yeah. I, I'm sure there was a balance there to make sure that they believed her. So they had, she probably had to give some accurate information. Yes, and they often they they often gave the right information, but just got a little bit ah. too late. Mm. So to do anything about that was it, smart. So, um, yeah, it was very strategic. <laughs> yeah. So yes. speaking of Friedel and double agents, what sort of vetting went into agents that something like? perhaps someone working for both sides might have gone um, unnoticed by the people who were like sort of in charge and like finding agents. Um, Cause we always think of, you know, the head of operations and things like that being so intuitive and all knowing. Um, but clearly she was, even though she was fake, there were a lot of real people that were double agents more than you would think. I, I guess. Right. Yeah. I think that the, the uh, British had an advantage because they, had the communications that they were decoding mm-hmm. with the Enigma machine. So basically they monitored the traffic coming out of Britain and they they were fairly confident that they had rounded up all of the, the true spies. And the Germans, I mean, it's a bit like you just can't believe the <laughs> incompetence in some respects because some of the Germans barely spoke English. You know, they were dropped 
they were parachuted into England and then they had these heavy German accents. They didn't know the culture. They, they just did not fit in, whereas the British would pick French people to right. drop into France and they would, uh, down to the fillings in their teeth, they would have everything about them mm-hmm. be French and, and they were so meticulous with all the details. So, uh, yeah, I think there would have been fifth column activity and there were certainly British who were sympathetic to the Nazi cause, but it didn't seem to be all that much of an issue. Uh, They had an interrogation uh, section at in some very swanky place that I think turned out to be the Russian embassy later Mm. on. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so that was, uh, I think there was a bit mm. of torture going on there. Um, and so anybody they, they, they suspected, I mean, they were more likely to suspect a foreigner mm-hmm. than they were to trust them. And, and often they would want to work with double agents who they weren't sure they could trust because uh, they were the sort of people the Germans might trust. And so... That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, that is interesting. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. <laughs> they, they would be quite careful to give them information that uh, couldn't right. couldn't ruin anything. They were just giving false information. Wow. So... Yeah. <laughs> who cares? True. <laughs> oh, we're extremely fascinated by the idea of women being spies. And I think our readers are too. During the time period, women could get away with it because most people didn't think they were capable. Can you talk a little bit about women's roles and perception during World War II? Yes, Laurie. Well, there, there's this famous uh, poster with this glamorous-looking blonde sipping champagne and sort of having all these men around her, and it says, uh, "Keep mom. she's not so dumb, <laughs> keep mum uh careless words cost lives so they the the there was a bit of a campaign to say hey wait a minute the you know pillow talk can be quite damaging yeah, very dangerous and right it's amazing. <laughs> yeah 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 and and actually i wrote the traitor's girl and a character in that is an agent provocateur for the British side. So she would test out the agents that they were sending over and she'd sidle up to them and, and you know, make nice and, and flatter them. And she, she didn't even have to go to bed. I mean, these were quite relatively innocent times. She didn't have to sleep with them. They'd spill everything. Because <laughs> they, <laughs> they were on a training exercise. But then she would come in to the training centre and give them reports on all the things that they'd <laughs> said that they shouldn't have and all of them were mad. They were yeah. very angry. <laughs> so, so she became legendary as Agent Fifi uh, and there were several of them, but but there was this rumour that there was this Agent Fifi and it wasn't until, I don't know, early 2000s or something that the the files were declassified and we found out, yes, oh, wow. Agent Fifi Oh, that's Fifi so cool. Real. I love that. hey history lovers eliza here we're interrupting today's happy hour to let you know that Lori and i host another fascinating podcast with our friend brenna ash hey there this is brenna crime feast is a true crime podcast hosted by three friends who are obsessed with all things crime 
Each week, join Brenna, Eliza, and I as we serve up a platter of murders, mayhem, missing persons, tragedies, and more. Feast on notorious tales ripped from today's headlines and resurrected from the past. Until then, stay safe out there. We don't want you on the menu next. Now, back to the show. Cheers! So, um, why don't you tell us three fun facts you discovered during your research? This is one of our favorite parts of the show because people always (laughs) seem to come up with, like, wild things we've never heard of before. Yeah. Yes, uh, yes, fun. I like that because uh, there were so many fun things. One was that uh, a lot of the spies and most famously the traitor spies who were turned by the the Soviets drank at this nightclub called oh, the Gargoyle <laughs> Club. Yeah. And it was yeah, and it, it was just amazing. It was covered in mirrors. Um, Matisse, the the artist, had designed the decor and it was it was a, a Moroccan mm-hmm. kind of thing. Wow. So it was covered in uh, small square mirrors, like a glitter wow, ball yeah. but on the walls. And it had uh, wooden gargoyles everywhere and la- lanterns hanging from the gargoyles and uh, there's this famous story of well I don't know if it's famous because I hadn't heard of it but uh, apparently women not only would they draw seams down the back of their legs right. because there were no stockings mm-hmm. because of rationing during World War II uh, they some of them would use gravy mix to stain oh their goodness. legs you know like the Oh, so they smelled like so, grief. So <laughs> oh my god, I'm thinking you better not have a dog at home. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> Looking back, you just think, why didn't you just yeah, all yeah, stop wearing stockings? <laughs> yeah, why would, yeah. So anyway, they they did this, and then Dylan Thomas, who was a bit of a lad, and he was a poet at the time, very famous poet. Um, he used to frequent the Gargoyle Club and this other woman, MJ, um, oh God, I'm going to forget her name. Anyway, MJ wore the <laughs> gravy on her legs. And so he, he said, oh, my darling, and so it licked <laughs> gravy on her leg at the Gargoyle Club. Oh, that's club. great. So, it does yeah. sound like a fun place to be, uh, though. It does. <laughs> well, yes, and now I've spoiled that part of the book, yeah. but I had to put it in. So I have all these colourful characters from, from you know, the bright young mm. things and people like that. I had a great time with them. Uh, you said three things. Okay, well, one that didn't make it into the book but shows Patty's character. When she was in her 70s, she uh, fended off an attack an attack by a mugger he was trying to get the rings off her fingers so he was you know up close and personal and she kicked him where it hurt (laughs) and ran away yes good for her (laughs) yeah she said it was the ballet all the ballet she'd done and the sturdy pair of marks and spencer pops that did it i love that yeah yeah, and then number three, I guess, was a lot of the Bond lore. If you're a James Bond fan, there'll be little Easter eggs in the book for you. Uh, doesn't matter if you're not a James Bond fan. I think a lot of people aren't, but, you know, this is not James Bond. This is the mm, real yes. story. Uh, but, for example, M was not 
Ian Fleming's boss. And if you've seen Operation Mincemeat, the movie, uh, you'll know that they called his boss M, but his boss was hmm. did not have a code name. He was just Admiral Godfrey. Uh, the the man who was called M was actually working for MI5 at, at the time. So I think, and and the the head of MI6 who in the Bond movies is called M, was actually <laughs> oh. called C. Because <laughs> the, the very first man ever to have that role, his initial was C. He used to sign everything off. He used to write in green ink and sign everything mm. off as C. And so that became the traditional code name. Those were amazing. awesome facts. I love those. Great facts. Yeah. So can so, you tell our readers about One Woman's War, your new book? Yes, it is about, as I said, Patty Bennett, who goes to work for Naval Intelligence, and she becomes involved as an operative in Operation Mincemeat, which is, uh, it was an operation where the British were trying to fool the Germans into believing that the invasion of the south of Europe was going to come through mm. the Greece and not Sicily. Sicily was the obvious choice. Everybody knew it would be Sicily. So what they wanted to do was to get the Germans uh, to move a lot of their fortifications and defences to Greece so they could come in through Sicily and, and not lose so many lives. And it actually... Well, I don't think it's a spoiler to say it worked uh, and it was a very eccentric plan because what they did was they floated a dead body off the coast of Spain because Spain were very, they were neutral mm -hmm. supposedly, but they were very sympathetic to the Nazis. So there were Nazi spies everywhere in Spain and eventually whatever papers this corpse would have on him, he was dressed as a Navy mm. Marine uh, and he had, you know, the, these papers would tend to suggest that the invasion was going to come through uh, Greece and the Germans, you know, it went to the Spanish and there was all this confusion about whether the Germans would actually get access to it for a start and then would they believe it. So the, the ta task that Patty and her colleagues had was setting up a legend for this particular fictitious man, uh, the the Royal Marine who was found, so that everything on his body seemed like it belonged to a real person. There were letters from his girlfriend. There was a, a an invoice for an engagement ring, <laughs> letters from his banker saying, you know, you've got <laughs> so to they went all out. <laughs> Probably because yeah. of the ring. <laughs> So yeah. Patty had to pretend to be the girlfriend and go around mm. and do all the things that they would have done. I had a chance to read yeah. the book um, early on and I really loved it, which I believe I've told you before. But just for the people listening, it's an amazing book and you have to get it. Mm. Oh, thanks so much, Eliza. That was a beautiful quote yeah. you gave me too. <laughs> You're welcome. So we are writers, but we're also readers. And we always like to know, what are you reading? At the moment, I have not started it yet because I've, I've actually been reading a lot of non-fiction uh trying to come up with a new <laughs> idea for the next book yes, <laughs> you yes. know what it's like uh but but i'm really looking forward to oh, the yes. tiffany girls that's mm -hmm. that i've got an advanced I have one copy two. of i'm very excited Kindle. about it <laughs> yes yes 
So because mm -hmm. I love Tiffany lamps mm -hmm. and this is about the girls who, who designed and, and made them. So yeah, I'm really looking yeah. forward to that. That's the Tiffany Girls by Shelley Noble. Oh, that sounds like a good one. Well, it sounds amazing. I can't wait to get my hands on that one too. Where can our readers find you? I am on a website at christine-wells.com, but I'm most active on Facebook, Christine Wells Author, and also on Instagram. So come and say hi. I won't bite. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you both for having me, Eliza and Laurie. It's been a pleasure. It really has been. And we hope you have a great rest of your day. Yes. And thanks again for getting up so early for us. <laughs> oh, I'm always up early. Okay, and uh, you have a lovely evening with your oh, wine. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode with guest author Christine Wells. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the rest of February's lineup. Our next guest is Allison Stewart, and in March, we have Heather Webb and Stephanie Marie Thornton. We'll also have episodes on a mob-related St. Valentine's Day massacre, the famous dancing duo Fred and Adele Astaire, and the Ides of March. For more information about today's episode, click on the show notes. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at History BKS Wine for additional historical tidbits and updates. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a review. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcast. That way you're notified every time a new episode is live. Subscribes and reviews help us get noticed. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to check out our episodes published weekly on Tuesdays. Until next time. Cheers and happy reading. The first time I used Instacart was with my sister. We were baking cookies and I'd forgotten the butter. Instacart to the rescue. Now I even use it when we're on vacation so our staples are delivered right to our door. Save yourself that trip to the market. Instacart delivers groceries in as fast as one hour. They connect you with personal shoppers in your area to shop and deliver groceries from your favorite stores. Follow the link in our show notes and that lets Instacart know we sent you and help support our show. Plus, you'll get free delivery on your first order over $35. There's multiple stores available in most areas. Shop all your favorites on a single order. The products you love from local stores. Hand selected by shoppers based on your preferences. Delivery to your door in as fast as one hour. Instacart highlights deals to help you save money. Find everything you usually buy and get smart suggestions for new items. They pick the freshest produce and keep your eggs safe too. Let Instacart shop for you. Hello listeners, this is Lori and I'm here to tell you that podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. We use Buzzsprout and it's hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories within minutes of finishing your recording. You'll get a great looking podcast website, detailed analytics, and more. Following the link in our show notes, let's Buzzsprout know that we sent you. Get you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and help support our show. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. <laughs>